0: Alright, family. How many of us in this room love Mashiach? You know, one of the interesting things about this parsha that has always blown my mind is excuse me. The love that the Father has for his people to such a degree. That we have a song. Now, how many of us still remember songs from the past? You know, there's times, there's times that we probably don't want to remember, right? Right? Certain melodies that we like, "Oh man, I wish I, I wish I' never learned that song." But what is the purpose of a song? Think about it. Help you remember. It's the best tool that the father uses in order to help us remember uh, wait, I need my clicker. Help us remember. Really what he wants to relay to us. So this parasha is called Ha'azinu. Okay, and we're going to see why is it that the father asked Moses to write this song for the people of Israel. Now, I wanna, uh, the, the, pr- the principle for this teaching today is going to be out of uh, actually Revelation chapter 15, 3. Why? Well, today we're going to figure out which one is which. Because in Revelation 15, 3, it says this. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Also, it says, saying, great and marvelous are your wor- your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. So let me ask you something. It says that, and by the way, as I always say, this is about as New Testament as it gets. Revelation. And it says that on that day, we're going to sing the song of Moses. And we're going to sing the song of the Lamb. Well, most of us in this room are probably thinking, well, Moses has several songs. So we can kind of, you know, we don't know exactly which one, right? Well, today you will. But where's the song of the Lamb? Where in the scripture does it say, and this is the song of the Lamb? And it's there. You're not going to find it. You mean if you go to the Old Testament, you're not going to find it. You're certainly not going to find it in the New Testament. So what is Johanan what is, uh, John talking in Revelation chapter 15? What is he talking about? The Song of the Lamb. I want to submit to you today that the Song of the Lamb is Hazinu. And I'm going to tell you why I feel it's a Hazinu. Because we're going to see the elements of the Mashiach in the Parsha Hazinu. As a matter of fact, we're going to see that it all entails essentially the Mashiach. Amen? So first and foremost, let's open up with the parasha. And the parasha opens up by saying, Give ear, O Hashem, and I will speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. First of all, the rabbis have concluded that in the the parasha, Zinu, connects and everything in the last three parasha that we cover in the book of Deuteronomy covers the future. In other words, in the Hebrew, it is actually in a future tense. That's number one, the giveaway. That this song that he is asking the children of Israel to remember, is not just for them to remember there. It's not like Exodus 15 where there was a song of Moses. But nowhere in Exodus 15 is it is, it is written in a future tense, but rather in, 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 the, in the actual tense that it was, present. And here, Hazinu he is a future. Meaning that this psalm points to a future redemption in a future singing that we will be doing together. This is what's so amazing about this, that the Torah is actually a prophetic book. And when you start seeing it for the way it is, a prophetic book, I promise you and I promise you, family, that the New Testament is going to start making more sense because it's all prophetic. Amen? So it says, "Give ear, o heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth." And Hebrew it opens up by saying, "Hazinu hashamayin." Hazinu hashamayin. It says, "And what is hazinu? What is it that the Father really wants you?" Let me ask you something. If the Torah is really not that important, right? Why is he saying hazinu? Because you're going to understand what hazinu really means today. This is the importance and what he wants you to understand. Is it really important for God for us to follow Torah? Or is it eh, as you can do it type of thing? Because I will submit to you, our attitudes has been up to this point. Yeah, if I can, I'll do it. If not, no big deal. But listen, through Hazinu, we see something different. Look, to give ear. It is from the Hebrew word azan, which literally means to expand, to broaden out your ear. You were seeing the cartoons, I remember, back in the back. cartoons that the ears uh, got really big when they were trying to hear. That, but really, that is the implication of Azinu. Uh, Broaden out your ears. Hear what I have to say, essentially. But look, it goes even deeper. The etymology of this word also means to balance, to carefully test it, improve, essentially. The words that we are hearing as you are broadening your ears, right? Need to be carefully tested as well. So in this parasha, he actually gives us the song, so that we can compare and contrast, that so we can test, so that we can what do essentially. So let's see this. Humash opens up by saying this: "This is the song of which Moses spoke in the previous chapter. Last week's chapter talked about already this song. He said that you are to give this. As a matter of fact, you know." Getting older is not cool. Now, suddenly, I need glasses. I don't know what this came from. been hanging around with you guys for too long. <laughs> Ba'u Hashem. Your blessing. Your blessing, Ba'u Hashem. It says, mostly spoken to the ears of the entire congregation, Kol Kehal Israel, it says, the words, the et divere. Of this son, ha shira, ha ad Says that was the final conclusion of last week's parsha, and it says that he gave this to the kahal of Israel. He didn't say not even the people of Israel. He said to the kahal, the kahila. What is that? The assembly. You know the choice of words are amazing in here. So no one can say, well, this I'm an exemption of learning this song so no one can say that's not for me he calls it the kehilat there's no exemption if you're part of God's kehilat God's congregation guess what the song is for you and if the song is for you guess what we're going to find out here today that the Torah is for you very important so It says, this song of which Moses spoke in the previous chapter, in it Moses called heaven and earth to bear witnesses to the calamities that will befall Israel if it sins. Why does he call heaven and earth? What did Yeshua say? And to heaven and earth passes away, not one yote of the Torah will be done away with. Why do you think Yeshua said that? Because in parashah hazinu, it says that the earth and the heavens will be a witness against the people. Yeah. See, now you're starting to match now the connection with Yeshua's parable. Not one yoke will be done away with Said Not one tittle will be done away until everything is fulfilled. Matthew 5.17, by the way. So it says in here, this is what's going to happen. By the way, Humash says that, The heavens and the earth bear witnesses to the calamities that will befall Israel. Is that true? You know that I will submit to you that 90% of the things that we read in the Bible are fulfilled prophecies. None in this room should be doubting God's word. Because everything that he said that was going to go wrong went wrong. I mean, honestly, it's not like we're reading a book that, you know what, nothing has been fulfilled. I'm doubting this book because everything that God said was going to happen hasn't happened. Everything that God said, what happened, has happened, folks. Honestly, look where we are. And this is part of the song, by the way. So it says in here, and the ultimate joy that will come with the final redemption. Can I share something real quickly in here? Because according to the Chumash, it says, the heaven and earth will bear witnesses against all the calamities. Well, we all agree that the calamities have come true, right? So what makes you believe that the final redemption won't? I mean, if this has come true, what makes you think this won't? That is his final redemption. More so of a reason why we need to believe, folks, because everything that he said would happen that is bad has happened. So we know the good is coming. So it's talking about also the final redemption. redemption. Since the nature of the song is to express recognition of the total harmony of creation, it often mixes past, present, and future. So this song is not just talking about you know, present time. It goes back and forth. Guess what? The book of Revelation goes back to past, present, and future also, by the way. So it says that it mixes this of past, present, and future. For everything is revealed to the prophet as a total reality in which there is no conflict. Future and past events are not only in harmony, but clarify one another. All the events that have happened to Israel... Is to point to the final redemption and to give clarification to the people of Israel. Thus, everything is melted as if it were happening at the same time. Hashem. So, let's see this. Ba'al haturim, one of our greatest sages says this: to give ear. It says that in the previous parasha, it concluded, which we just read, with "et divrei hashira Atuma. It says Moses spoke these words of this song until their conclusion. And it's juxtaposed, uh, juxtaposed to that is Moses' statement, give ear. In other words, there's a connection with last week's statement when he said about write the song. And now he's opening this parasha, the sage is saying that there's a juxtaposed there to give ear. What is it that we need to give ear to? To the song. And what is the song indicating? Just as you gave ear and listened to the words of the Torah, so to give ear to the words of this song. I think we got to start memorizing this song, family, because in this song is sharing with us all the pitfalls, where we went wrong, where we going, where we came from, why we fell, what was the motivation for falling. All of it is inscribed in this uh, verse, chapter 32. So it says, "Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak; and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth." Right. Okay, the question is, what are the words of Moses' mouth? Because he says, give ear. And by the way, they were supposed to memorize this. So this is important. What are the words of Moses' mouth? It says, Yarof kamatar lichi tizal. And then it says, katal imrati. Okay. It's very amazing how you see this in Hebrew. Because in verse 2, it opens up, because he said, these are the words, verse 2, it says, My teaching sh- shall drop like rain. Right? Well, first and foremost, the word in here for drop is, yarof kamatar lichi. The word for teaching is, lichi. The sages of Israel said that this is also alluding to the Torah. The Torah, Yarfah, dropping or coming down from heaven. Remember the teaching in Yom Kippur that we did? There was talking about Daniel chapter 12. About truth, Emmet being cast down from heaven. There's the connection here. It is essentially saying that the teacher, he can also even connect to a teacher, will come down from heaven. When it's talking about my doctrine should drop like rain, it is talking about the essence of the Mashiach coming down from heaven. And then it goes on to saying what? Amarati. then it says, Kishirim, Deshem, which is the the, the, the the grass and the field and the water. So the purpose of the rain coming down, which is alluding to the teaching, follow this, because the Hebrew word in there for... Elay, esef. This is the herbage, the grass. Okay, is to provide protection. So just like the dew sits on top of the foliage of a leaf and it protects it and it nourishes at the same time, the Taurus also alluded to a cover, because in Scripture you are also known as grass. Keep this in mind, prophetically. So what's covering you? What gives you life? What gives life and sustenance to the grass? Mime, water, water. But it does more than just that. It also protects, it gives a covering as well. As a matter of fact, that word for iseb literally means to cover with grass, but it also means to weed out. So what is the rain doing? This doctrine that's coming down from heaven is actually weeding out at the same time those who were accepted and those who won't. It's amazing, family, when you start seeing this in the context and how it's spoken. Look, Siphre Devarim 39.13 says this, And just as dew descends for blessing, so rain. And thus it is written in Bereshit 27.28, And may God give you of the dew of the heavens. And Deuteronomy 32.2, my teaching, Torah, they say, shall drip as the rain. And in Hosea 14.6, it says, I shall be like a dew to Israel. He says that to Hosea. Do you see that Hashem is speaking to Hosea, saying, I will be a dew into Israel. So he is comparing himself with the dew. He is comparing himself with the rain, essentially. Yeshua said, if anybody thirsts, let him come to me. Why did he say those words? You see, we have to understand this. Why did he say that whoever comes to me will never thirst again? Because he was indicating that he is the rain of Deuteronomy chapter 32. The rain that gives life. You see, they would have known this because they had to remember the song. Remember? <laughs> you ought to memorize this song. Why? Because a time in the future was going to come when Mashiach will come and say, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me because I am the Dishen. I shall be as a dew to Israel. Micah chapter 4, 6 also. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people like dew From the Lord, like droplets upon a grass. That's absolutely beautiful. The Sforno goes on to even saying this. My Torah shall drop as rain, Sforno says. What is coming down? Is it the rain, rain literally? Or is it his teaching? Is it his life? It says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. I will submit to you that the the early rains already came. That is his first coming. Now we're waiting for the latter rain. How many rains do we get a year in scripture that it talks about the early and the latter rains? You see this. So it says, Literally, my Torah shall drop as stream as the rain, and to those who understand, now listen to what Sforno says, to those who understand and are prepared to receive the flow from the fount of wisdom. The rain comes, but not everybody's receiving it. That's the problem that we're having today. The rain is falling, folks. But not everybody is grasping it. Okay? And there's a parable that Yeshua talked about why they're not grasping it. Because we are too preoccupied with other things. And we're missing the rain. Now we're going to see the Messiah in Hazinu. Now that we understand that this song connects with the Torah... By the way, if this song connects with the Torah, how is it that a lawless doctrine fits into this picture? In other words, we've been taught all our lives that Jesus did away with the law. Right? But wow, you mean to tell me that we were supposed to memorize the song to only forget the song? Does that make sense? I mean, he's asking us to memorize the song. This all connects to the Torah. And we're going to see in here that this song connects to the Mashiach himself. How is it that it connects to the Mashiach? Look, it says, Yarof kamatar lihi. We already covered this. And I will drop rain. My teaching shall drop like rain. This word for arof means to drop, to drip. It is also an indication, "Yarof" is an indication of the early rain. That the early rain came already? Yes. See, the early rain has come. Are we benefiting from that first rain? Are we soaking into that res- first rain? Are we absorbing that first rain? Because depending on what you do with the first rain will indicate what's going to happen with the latter rain. Look, the first rain to drop, to drip. But look at this. This word for also lihi, which is also translated as the teaching, the Torah, right? This is really beautiful because this, the etymology for this word actually means to take, to buy something, that which is also received. You know the parable of the man who sold everything that he had in the field to buy this field because there was something precious in the field? And to what extreme we will go for the Torah family? This word for here man, means to take and to buy. This is prophetically speaking of the Mashiach. As he has bought us. And we are to accept him now. We are to be essentially received. By who? The first reign. This is the Torah. Essentially. Look, Joel 2.23 says this. And you children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in Hashem. It says, your Elohim, for he shall give you the teacher of righteousness. But the teacher of righteousness is also connected with the rain. And it says, I will give you the teacher of righteousness and cause the rain to come down on you. The former rain and the latter rain. This is all connecting to the Mashiach. As in Jewish literature, he is also known as the teacher of righteousness. Look, Ramban Nachmaris shares this. I thought it was really amazing. He says, by way of the plain meaning of Scripture, the words of Rabbi Abraham, Ibn and Ezra are correct that the Scripture designate as witnesses all things which exist and endure. He says, let's face it, heaven is there, folks, and it's not going nowhere until he returns back. So it's a, it's, it's a credible witness that stands, essentially, and it can't lie. That's the cool thing about it. So he says in here. Similarly, here, all ye mountains, the Eternal's controversy. So also with reference to the stone that Joshua set up, Nachmanides compares this to the stone that Joshua set up after he made a covenant with the people. For there it is written, for he, for it had heard all the words of the Eternal which he spoke unto us, and by way of truth, we talked about truth. Emmet. And Yom Kippur. The essential of the Emmet, the middle is the men, the mind, Mashiach. So it says in here that by way of truth, the reference here is to the first higher heavens and the earth mentioned in Genesis. For it is they that shall enter the covenant with Israel. See, this is why you, you got to understand this, folks why is it that we have such so much disbalance in our atmosphere right now earthquakes everywhere i mean uh, we know we call it global warming today but the reality is when you understand this we understand why now because the earth and the heavens are bearing witness against us do you understand that this is the reason why we are going through so much climate change. Because the earth is crying out for redemption. The earth is testifying against the sins of the people, folks. This is what's so amazing about the Torah. The Torah reveals us. We don't have to worry about well, what's happening with the world. It's very easily. We have broken the Torah. No Torah. Guess what? The land doesn't give its yield, its fruit. Simple as that. The rains don't come on time. Famines everywhere. Famines everywhere. And then we say, oh, well, Jesus must be coming around the corner. No, it has nothing to do with Jesus coming around the corner. It has to do with the fact that the earth is bearing witness against us, simply put. And it's been like this for thousands of years, by the way. Thousands of years. So, therefore, he states that the heavens should give ear and listen to the conditions. And how he will apply them, folks. He states, my doctrine shall drop as the rain for that which he took from the heavens, the written Torah. You you see, what the thing is, what Nachman is uh, revealing in here, that even goes deeper in the Zohar, is talking about the Mashiach. Because of all these things that are testifying, they are bearing witness against the people, the heavens and the earth. He said, now, what is he doing? He states, my doctrine shall drop as the rain for which he took from the heavens. Who took it from the heavens? Abino our heavenly father, took that from the heavens and sent us Messiah, the rain. And his commandments upon the earth shall drop upon Israel and distill upon them like dew. When I shall call the name of the eternal in the heavens, ascribe you greatness to the to our God on earth. He is speaking to all Israel. Similarly, he says, the stone of Joshua, now listen to what he says. The stone of Joshua alludes to the earth, they say. For from thence it is the shepherd, he says. The stone of Israel, folks. See, the, the Nachmanides is comparing this in here with the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Look, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Therefore, Joshua said, behold, this stone was... Oh, this stone shall be a witness against us. Who is the stone? Do you know that in Jewish literature, the Evan, the Mashir, is also known as the Evan? Do you know what Evan means? A stone. But what's amazing about the Evan is that if you understand the word Evan, you will see the Father and the Son in it, in the word itself, in Hebrew. That's what's so amazing about this whole thing, the stone they have rejected. So look, the Zohar shares this, folks, and this is really, really amazing. The Zohar says, Rabbi Yehuda said, the Holy One, blessed is he who is Zaid Anpin, he says. Now Zaid Anpin in, in the actual Zohar literature is actually, they say, the Messiah ben Joseph. We're gonna I'm going to share something with you here, very interesting. So it says the holy one who is, but it's interesting that the Zohar says that the Holy One is actually Zaid on Pin, which is the Ne'ed, the Naar, the young Lath. We're gonna see this. It's very, very amazing. So it says, Rabbi uh, he says that the Holy One, blessed is he, who is Zaid on Pin, is called heaven. And since he is called heaven, all the firmaments that are included in this name, when they are joined together, are called heaven and called the name of the Holy One. Blessed is he. In the Zohar, the Vav, which is numeral, numerical value for six, corresponding to the Vav of the sacred name, is the personification of the six emotive sefirots call and group. The in uh, in Jewish literature is the manifestations of God. In other words, God is one, but he manifests himself in different ways. They call it Zephiro. We're going to cover that this upcoming year. But look what it says. Zaidan Pin, okay, the small face, the likeness that is before the Holy One. Look what it says. The primordial Torah, it says, depicted as a Na'ar, it says. What is a Na'ar? A Na'ar is a young man. So this Zayda Pin is a young man who is also known as the Holy One. Blessed is he. Naad, a young man with black hair, they say. And that's in the Zohar 3.13. In the familiar personification, Zayd vindication, Pin is called the son also. Interesting. For God to call someone my son means that his qualities are those of Zayda Pin. This is referred to the words, Israel is my son in Exodus. So we are called sons because we what? We are connected with Zaid and We are connected with the son who is also known as the lad, who is also known as the son, who is also known as the holy one, blessed be he. Very, very interesting. This is what's so cool and so amazing about the scripture, folks. So now we're going to see the rock in the wilderness. Because part of the song... And I'm not going to cover the entire song here today, folks. But the entire song has to do with the history, essentially. But most importantly, it has to do with the Mashiach. Because the song has to do with the victory over the enemies. So you got two songs. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. I, like I said, I submit to you that the song of the Lamb is this one right here. Because we've already seen that this, everything in this song, though, so far connects back to the Mashiach. And look... The rock in the wilderness is one and the same. Deuteronomy 32, 4, 6. It says, the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. Now, I want you to understand that this song, Hazinu, is connected with the Mashiach. But guess what? This song has everything to do with judgment. Now, that's a word we don't like to hear. But this is the song. The song is about judgment. And you're not going to want it any other way, trust me, when you see the in-depth of this. So it says the rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are what? Justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are crooked and twisted generation. He wants us to remember this so that we don't go off again into idolatry. This is the song that when he returns back, we will be singing so that we may remember, folks. Look, this rock is very special. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you and who made you and established you? Hershel says this, according to our sages and the Sifre, the Zur, that is the Hebrew word for the rock, Contains a dual idea, the one who is strong and the one who forms and shapes you at the same time. Well, how does he form you and how does he shape you? I want to submit to you folks, you're not going to like it. He forms you and he shapes you through trials. Because when you're molding something, you're changing its form you have to manipulate everything that's going around it you have to manipulate it to be able to create the design that you want so you somewhat we can say that the potter is in control right and the clay needs to submit to the potter and however the hands go that'll design it guess what god is doing this to all of us (laughs) directing you and you think that you have control (laughs) you're funny I say, I'm directing everything. Even when you think you got control, you've got nothing. I'll let you wander off, but guess what? You're still going to come back into my pot right here, and you're going to be molded the way I design you. This is the idea of the song. The one who shapes you because he is strong, because he knows better than us. Sforno says, do not relate to him differently on the account of what you hear in my song about Israel's future. Do not come to the mistaken conclusion that God's will ever change Get that? God's will ever change and that the experiences that will befall the Jewish people during the course of history and which I'm about to foreshadow are evidence of his changing and possibly becoming the Jewish people enemy. In other words, don't even think about it. God is unchangeable. But what have we have done today? We have made God a God who changes his mind. Part of the song Of not most of the song, it's to remind us that he is the judge and the judge never changes. So why are we treating him as he has changed? You know, when we read the stories of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, do we say, wow, I love the way God used to be. He's still the same as he did with them. He will do with you as well. You are very well aware through the variety of miracles he has performed on your behalf that the hazur, that is the, stone, the, the, the rock, he remains the rock and his actions are always motivate, motivated by pure motives. You know, if we can just learn that, you know, I understand everybody's tired today, but if we can just learn that, you can walk out of this tent here today differently. Because now, The consequences and the things that are happening in your life are not just all coincidence. But rather we know as we submit, and the key word is submitting, as we submit to the divine, folks, let the divine guide us where he wants us. This is the whole purpose of the song. Look, this being so, if at times he does not appear to help you. How many times we have felt that God doesn't help me, Richard? I get it all the time, trust me. I don't think God loves me anymore. If it appears that he's not helping you, can I share something with you? That's about 99.9% of the time. Because it appears that God is coming against us. God, I need this, but you give me, I know I asked for bread, and you're giving me here scorpions. Your word says it, that if I pray for bread, you give me bread. Why am I not getting bread? Because it appears As the sages say, it appears that the mighty one is coming against you, but he's not really coming against you. He's answering your prayer. So you're asking for bread? You said bread? You might just get bread. But it's not going to be the bread that you think. Because you see, he knows the goal where you're trying to achieve. The problem is that we don't even know where we're going. We're asking God, I want bread because I need this. And he knows the intent. He knows what you need. So he's going to give you what you need. But we're like, oh, no, 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 I don't like this. I was hoping for something better. Easier. That's why the Sforno says that at times he will appear that he's not there to help you. Because he is the rock. He is the stone. He is the judge. Remember that, folks. He's the righteous judge. Look, at times it's going to appear that he's not there to help you or even save you. This is not due to the weakening of his part. Neither is he hard of hearing. Oh, boy, we heard that one so many times. God ain't hearing. He just doesn't hear. I've been begging for a year and a half, man. I, I still ain't, man, my prayer still not answered. It says in the formula, saying in here, don't even consider that. Neither is he hard of hearing, so that he did not hear your pleas. Never ascribe any injustice to him, folks. Never, ever ascribe any injustice to the Mighty One of Israel. Even when it appears in the natural. You know, Job experienced an experience that is unremarkable. See, the problem is that there's a heavenly court, by the way, and we don't know what's going on in the heavenly courts. See, God was boasting on Job. It was a good thing. But how did that translate in the natural? Oh my God, it was horrible. Job lost everything. And the eyes and the natural, he was probably thinking, okay, what, 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 what happened? What did I do wrong? Mid- little that he knew, man, I'm boasting on you. I'm lifting you up. I'm showing you off to everybody in the heavenly courts. But down here, the equation for that, how that translated down here was horrible. See, they don't always match. See, up there was like, woo. Down here is like, ugh. (laughs) Right? But this is the issue. Because we don't know what's happening in the heavenly courts. But one thing we can have an assurance is as Deuteronomy chapter 32 has, he knew this parasha is telling us that we are to obey and we are to follow him and we are to circumcise our heart. And we are to remember the nation of Israel, what they went through, because we are now part of these people and we can glean from that. Guess what? It doesn't matter whether we get a job experience or not. We remain faithful to the Holy One. Blessed be he. And not only that, but we will have security. We will have betach because his ways are better than our ways, folks. See, it's that little concept. His ways are better than ours. He knows what's best for us. We don't know what's best for us. How many of you are parents here or been parents once, right? We're all parents. Since when a five-year-old knows what's better for them? Honestly. But in his mind, he thinks he knows what's better for him. You know, if I could just have those pancakes full of syrup, I know, man, I need that, daddy. No, you don't need all that sugar. But in his mind, he needs it, right? I got to have those gummy bears today, or otherwise my world's going to fall apart. But, you know, we laugh, but we are the five-year-old. We're the five-year-old telling God, I need, I need, I need, I need, I need. If you don't give me this, that's it. It's the end of me. That's it. I'm going to be done. There goes my generation. Guys, really? The purpose of the song is so that you can have betach. Assurance. Do you may remember. You know, assurance creates well-being. When you got an assurance and you know your life is taken care of, who can take your joy away? Amen. Honestly, who can take your joy away? If I know, if I got a guarantor, and hey, I got you, it <laughs> doesn't matter. If I, if, I, now, if I deposit $8 billion in all of your account, you're going to be dandy for the rest of your life, right? You're going to feel assurance, right? Okay, God has said, I got you. Do you have to see it? He says, I got you. This is the one of the part of the purpose of the song. Psalms 95.1 says, oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock. That is the Zur, the rock of our salvation. By the way, in Hebrew, it says Hazuria Yeshua. His name is in there. In connection with the Zur. See, in Hebrew, you appreciate the the scripture so much better. Look, the ancient rabbi, Sanit 11a, says this in the Talmud. It says, the Baraita cites another verse that deals with judgment. Why? Because Hazinu has to do with judgment. Don't get scared because judgment can be good for you if you're doing what it's right. It's favorable. It says this. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. He is just and righteous, it says, Deuteronomy 32, 4. The Barita interprets a God of faithfulness to mean that just as punishment is exacted from the wicked in the world to come, even for a light transgression that they commit, so too punishment is exacted from the righteous in this world for a light transgression that they commit. The righteous suffer their punishment in this world to purify them so that they can enjoy the world to come. See, we need to start thinking like the Jews. Because this is the problem. We think in Gentile. Therefore, we don't understand the scriptures. What? Me? Suffer? Now? Nah. But there is a scripture in Numbers that says that if they were to repent, if they repent from their iniquities and are glad to pay for their sins I will welcome them in my house what Numbers is talking about is what the Talmud in Taini 11a says that the righteous suffer their punishment in this world to purify them so they can enjoy the world to come you know what I'll take the punishment here it's actually not bad it's not forever forever. but not only that the punishment is full of mercy still the punishment is still full of mercy. So, you know what? Rejoice if you're going through trials. Don't look at trials as the devil's coming against me. Since when the devil has authority over your life? Since when? Can I share since when? Well, I could tell you when he stopped having authority over your life. When you join Passover and you yoke yourself to the kingdom of heaven. <coughs> right. Okay? If you yoke yourself to the Torah and the kingdom of heaven, the enemy has no authority over you. But could it be possibly that you're paying for your sins now in this world so you can enjoy the world to come? How much great that is. Baruch Hashem, Why you think the nation of Israel has always been persecuted for so much? Why? This group of people that are minority worldwide, they're always constantly being persecuted. Why? Because they are purging now for the world to come, folks. That's why Yeshua said, rejoice when you go through trials, because you're being purged. 1 Corinthians 10, one and 4 says, And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was who? Messiah. Out of the scripture's own mouth or letter. Right? The rock was Messiah. You see, it's always been of the Mashiach. It's always been about Mashiach, folks. Always. And this year, when we start in the book of Bereshit, we're going to see the Mashiach like never before. It's going to be a really, really amazing year as we enter into a deeper layer of the scriptures this year. We're going to go to Remes level this year. And we're going to start seeing the Mashiach like never before, I promise you. And that's what's going to be so powerful because now you're going to start seeing, wow, this Mashiach is not a New Testament Mashiach. He's a biblical Mashiach. He's always, always has been there. So we're going to conclude here. Revelation 19, to 13 says, Now I saw heaven open. This is why Hazinu is so important. Because Hazinu has to do with the song of judgment that he's going to pronounce. We know that the heavens and the rock all connects with the Mashiach and what he is going to do and what he expects from us. Because now in Revelation 19, look what it says. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. Remember Yom Kippur? We talked about truth. Emmet, the essential of the Emmet. What is truth? Who is truth? He is truth. He is called the faithful one and true. And in righteousness, he what? Judges. This is why we're going to be singing the song because he is going to avenge our enemies this is the reminder of how he knew and why are we going to sing that song because we are the bride that is prepared we are the bride that has been memorizing the song we are the bride that understands i'm not going to follow this way that way or that way because those ways led me to this and this song reminds me of that now i stand on this day i sing the song because my creator is passing judgment see remember the song is pure is future The song of Moses in Exodus chapter 15 was the deliverance from Egypt. Present time. I believe that's the song. Actually, it says it. We're going to be singing that song, Exodus chapter 15. But we're going to be singing Hazinu. Because he's going to be doing a great deliverance for Israel in the future. So it says in here, uh, he, uh, he was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no one knew except for himself he, when he comes folks whew. see I, that's why I kind of smile and laugh when people say I can't wait for Jesus to return back really a lot of times we, we, we declare what we don't understand You know, so it says that he's coming, but he's going to be judging with righteousness. Let me ask you, if the king is coming to return back to judge with righteousness, then what book is he opening? How did the kings judge in Israel? What book did they open when they judge in Israel? The Torah. Because remember, the king has to have a copy. The Levites, there has to be a priest. And the, the, when there's a courtroom in ancient Israel, we're going understa- to understand a lot of this this year. Whenever there was a courtroom in Israel and there was a case that needed to be judged, you have the king of Israel, you have the witnesses, but most importantly, you have the priest standing there. Why was the priest there? What does the priest have to do with the, with the proceeding of the case? Because the priest is there to make sure that the king is judging in righteousness. And what is the standard for all this at the end of the day? The Torah. So if Yeshua is coming to judge with Torah. Can you just imagine what is that day going to look like? When we are preaching around here, we don't need the Torah. That's old. It's a very scary thing, folks. And by the way, it says that he is a righteous judge. He doesn't change. Simply put. So how's folks? How's It's the reminder of the judgment of the king. The day that it still awaits us, that is to come, where he will judge each and one of us. It says that he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Now, we're going to understand this better next year, this, up, uh, this upcoming parasha, next two weeks when we start in Bereshit about the word of God who is this word of God what says it in here this Yeshua right but what does that mean for us today now what is the relationship between now and us and the Torah now with the understanding that he is the living word of God so Hazinu, folks let us give heed and hear the words of his Torah so that we may be judged favorably on that day we will stand And we will sing the song of HaZinu. Okay? And in HaZinu, none of it has to do with doing away with the law. It's the contrary. We're going to thank Him for bringing the law to us. Amen? All right, Ba'u HaShem. Well, I don't have a PowerPoint for this one. Because, honestly, I didn't have time. But, nonetheless, I want to share some of the great literature concerning this song um first and foremost do you see a correlation with this song and what we read this morning number one right and uh what is the theme in this song you want to give a shot of it absolutely but it is a it is a song of gratitude for god and his goodness and of victory what happens prior to this uh song in here of gratitude What happened was that David was able to defeat the giant goth and all his uh, enemies that came against him. So they were handed over to the hands of David, essentially. Uh, This is a correlation I'm going to share in here. This is a correlation what's going to happen later or in the latter days when all the nations will gather against Israel. Because everything is cyclical. Israel will be attacked. The nations will come against them as they always do. And God will be faithful to deliver. Now, what's interesting that in this deliverance in here, that David is singing, which he is singing because of the deliverance that's taking place, it's a foreshadow, according to Arbanel, it's a, it a foreshadow of what's going to happen in the future. So I want to open up real quick. It says in here, opening up with Hazal, Hazal says it is typical of David that he, f- he focuses not on the travails, pursuits suffering and rebellions that merit his life to him everything even the difficulties were signs of God's kindness it's interesting that he said that David didn't focus on the problems that he was going through now can we all agree that David had problems God makes it hard to be a king okay so David had a lot of travails in his life but he said that in all that, David didn't focus on the travails. I mean, I think at the opening in here, what Abarnetta is sharing with us, we need to glean from that wisdom. Because more often than not, we do focus on the problems. We often focus on the travails and all these different things, which brings us what? Down. Gets us off the path, you see? And the idea, and that you got to understand that is the goal of the enemy. So it says in here to him everything even the difficulties were signs of God's goodness because he was firm in his belief that everything that God does is for the good this kind of echoes what we talked about this morning interesting everything even though we do not understand how Arbanel says in here so even the things that we look at befalling us something that is bad something that is negative we need to start seeing that as God's grace how is it that God can give us grace when things are not going the way we hope for it's a it's a very hard question not that easy to answer either because from our perspective doesn't always look like God's grace but we need to be careful with this so look Yachut Shimonhi says this and he quotes this out of Joshua 20, which is very interesting. He says, in Yahud lists the song as one. Now, this song that we just read, he said, as one of the ten sacred songs of history. Guess what? According to our now, there's going to be ten songs that are going to be sung throughout the whole history of mankind. Songs are a good thing, especially after victory. Okay, but he says that there are 10. We're not going to list all 10 of them today. But I will say this. Listen to what he says at the end in here. He said uh, 10 songs will be listed through sacred songs of history. The 10th song will be sung when the Messiah arrives. Guess what? Revelation chapter 19 says that we are going to be singing the song of Moses and that of the Lamb. It's interesting, that Arbanel here, one of the sages of Israel, already kind of had the download on this. Why are we going to be singing? Why is it said that the 10th song we're going to be singing, it's going to be in the merit of what Mashiach done? Why? Because Mashiach, we have to understand the song in order to answer that. Because the song has to do with Messiah conquering our enemies. But something even further than that, this shares wisdom. Folks, do you know that music is a means of worship? This is why music is so important. Every time Israel went through a victory, an anointed will sing. That's why, at the latter days, when Messiah is claiming victory over our enemies, we are going to sing. This is why it's so beautiful. When they crossed the Sea of Reeds, and Pharaoh and his army were all what? drown they sang victory we shall always be in the habit of what of sharing victory so the song in itself if we read through it we already know the Arbanel here sharing that the 10th one will be the the song of the Mashiach interesting that this parsha, the rabbis connected this parsha with Hazinu this is why I firmly believe that this is the song that we're going to sing Along with Exodus chapter 15. Both. Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. Hazinu is the song of the Lamb. Why? Because the sages of Israel connected this parasha with Hazinu. And this parasha, but said that this connects to the Mashiach. So, more of a reason why we understand why and how this is going to play out. Verse 23, it says, For all his judgments are before me, he says. I do not remove myself From his decrees One of the aspects That the song is teaching us Along with Hazinu Is that no matter how ugly things look No matter how unfavorable it looks We should always stay firm To God's law Never depart from his Torah Even if it looks unfavorable I'm going to stress that out today this is important, family. Hear me out. Because the world is going to test you. How many of you are employed here? Okay, good handful of you. Your job may told you may say to you, You can't take Sabbath off. What are you gonna do? You understand me? Honestly, this is a problem that's getting worse and worse. Honestly. It appears to getting it's just getting really, really bad nowadays. And guess what? This song reminds us that if we choose righteousness over the comforts of the world, there will be victory. You understand? What if God wants you to lose that job? I'm just saying, and here you are fighting him. What if he has something better for you? These are the things that we need to sit down and think. You know, we're asking for God's direction. The song is giving us a direction. Stop being in control. Let him control. Maybe it is the purpose for you to do that. That job is not for you. It may be a $30 an hour job. And he say, I want you to have the $12 an hour job. What are you going to do? You're going to fight God? No, I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to do. You're going to fight God. That's what you're going to do. Because we're going to be like, no, 30, 12, mm, math ain't adding up, but right? But maybe he wants you to have a $12 an hour job so that you can keep his Sabbath, so then he can turn around and bless you, so then you can be a witness for him. There are sacrifices that we all have to make, family, okay? I went from making $30, $35 an hour and hardly working to going cleaning banks for 750 an hour don't talk to me about pay cut please okay and degrading cleaning banks toilets because it was the only job that was going to give me the opportunity to honor sabbath while i was going through my discipleship by the way so i don't want to hear it there's no excuse and by the way i have children too in a family and i have rent that i still have to pay So these are the things that we need to understand. If God says move, it should be more exciting for you to fulfill his commandments than to have a good paying job. I'm using that as an example because that's the most common one right now. But there may be other areas that he's going to test you. How about a soulmate? Will you be firm to keep my commandments as opposed to keep your girlfriend or your husband or or, or boyfriend, whatever case may be? which one takes precedence at the end of the day the list goes on and on what david is sharing with us in here is that we need to be what on fire for him we need to have the and we need to stand in his commandment because only then and only then will we be able to do sharia that is to sing to him we sing praises unto the lord god of israel how many of you would love to be a testimony for the god of israel Mm. That's good. But do you know what you just declare? That you're willing to go through all the trials to be a testimony. You see? How can you be a testimony? Oh, yeah, I'm a testimony based on what I read. Yeah, that's going to really convict me. I want to hear your testimony. I want to hear from you what you experienced, not what you read. This is what we're talking. And the song here, David shares that. And 23, that's why he says, for his judgments are before me, I do not remove myself from his decrees. Look what he says in here. Uh, Mahadi says this. The reason I was able to restrain myself from harming Saul, though my forbearance kept me in moral danger, and the reason I was able to remain joyous despite constant travail, was because I always believed that God's judgment is correct and righteous. David didn't even lift his finger to kill Saul, who was after him. Why? Because the Torah commands to honor your leaders, especially the king. This is a perfect example. Did he have the right? In a a common world sense, yes. You got a guy that's coming against you to kill you. Hey, take him out. Snuff him out. But this wasn't just an ordinary guy. This was the king. This gives you insight on how much God, David feared the words of the Lord. That he would not even touch this anointing that It says in an ear. The reason why he didn't is because he felt the peace and the confidence knowing that God's judgment was much better. Can we say the same today when we follow his Torah? Can we honestly say today, I'm a more peace of the fact that I gave up a $50-an-hour job for a $7-an-hour job because I know that God is going to make up the difference. Can we have that kind of betach, that is trust and assurance, betachon, in the God of Israel? He demands it, folks. And if we do this, he is faithful (coughs) to come through with the things that he is saying. The last verse of this song, and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, this song is echoing Hazinu. It's literally, I mean, it's like I'm doing the same teaching again. It's the exact same thing. But th- the last verse really intrigued me because in verse 51 of 2 Samuel 22, it says, He concludes the song with this. He is a tower of his king's salvations. By the way, we're going to see this in Hebrew, and thus kindness to his anointed one, to David and his offspring forever. Looking for a pen? No. Nope. just okay. I'll use my finger. So and here it says, let me, let me look it up real quick. It says he is a tower of the king's salvations and opens up by saying migdol yeshua it says okay that is the word of yeshua yeshua but what's interesting about that is that it's in plural literally the way this read is he is a tower gadol that is something that is big powerful it says of his kings of his king's salvation so who is his king's salvation it says in here Migdol uh, Yeshuot it says. Then it says uh, again. I'm sorry. Again, the same word of Mashiach. It's saying. Look what the great sages of Israel said about this. It's really powerful. Twice in here we see the word of Yeshua, right? But it's saying in here, this is David. This is in and present tense or personal pronoun, it says that he is a tower to his king. So David is talking about his king. We're not talking about King David because the King David is talking about King David saying that he has a king. He said he is a tower to his king's salvation. It says in here, our greatest sages write this. David refers not only to himself, because that's why it's written in Hebrew the way it is, but to the entire dynasty throughout the generations. Just as God has been a tower of salvation for me, talking about David, so may he be for my offspring, whom he has promised to make my successors, he says. In Psalms 18, they say here, the parallel phrase is, Migdol Yeshuot Marcho. Guess what that means in English? He magnifies his king's salvation. And what does that mean still? The Midrash Shokhel Tov explains the difference between the two versions. Rabbi Yehuda says the redemption of this nation would not come about all at once, he says. That's why it says it in plural, salvations, in plural not just singular but plural because according to what radak is saying is that this salvation by the way this is way back with david this salvation is going to be progressive every generation will experience a higher uh, uh, uh or if you want to call it a higher magnitude of this salvation into it's going to climax to the big salvation when he returns back that's absolutely true Are you experiencing his salvation today? Because that is the salvation that David's talking about here. In this psalm, by the way, of deliverance. Look, let me continue on in here. So he says that the redemption of this nation will not come all at once, but it will appear little by little. Therefore, it is described in Psalms as makdol. He magnifies, meaning that it is a continuous process with god's salvation becoming greater and greater now why is god's salvation becoming greater and greater throughout the generations because as second peter says in the new testament we are ushering the messiah back do you understand this as the time comes closer as his people are become more zealous for his torah what's happening is we are telling the king return now But are we literally saying to the king, return? No. We're telling the king to return, in Jewish thought, by our actions. So as we we become more zealous for the Torah, we essentially are doing this. We're taking the red carpet and we're laying it out. What did John the Baptist said? Prepare the way for the Lord. Make the crooked roads straight. Okay, that's all, metaphorically speaking, of Torah. For to rise, the way, the truth, and the life, Baal HaShem. So, in here, he says, <coughs> "This is like the dawn that breaks slowly." I love the analogy that that uh, Arboner puts in here. Listen to what he says: "This is like the dawn that breaks slowly." For if the sun were to rise all at once, <coughs> how does the sun rise in the morning? Slowly, right? I never wonder why does it do it slowly. These Jews think about everything. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what they share in here. They think of everything. It's great. It's, very, it's wonderful. Wonderful literature. It's great. You can't, you cannot deny it. Look what they say. This is like the dawn that breaks slowly. For if the sun were to rise all at once, everyone would be blinded by its, fier- uh, its fiery light. Think about it. Because you are coming from darkness. And if it just pops up, you're like, ah. Oh, But it begs the question now, using that analogy, let's sit here and think now. Let's go to Remes level. Why is it that the Mashiach doesn't just appear at once? Why is salvation only coming through stages in every generation? Exactly. The light cannot be contained all at once. It's amazing that as the sun is rising, and little by little we're getting more light, it's alluded to the generations that are, teshua, that are returning back to the Lord little by little. Why is it that a 100 years ago there was no zeal for the Torah like it is today? But guess what? There was. It wasn't just as much. Now we've seen more. Why? Because the sun is rising. Little by little. It's not all at once. This is amazing, folks. Because we have been taught and trained that everything has to happen now. And we ought to, we want it now all at once. See it, it goes contrary to God's ways. This is the reason why we fight God so much. God's process is slowly, and America's teaching us now, I want it now, I want my money, I want it now, right? Here today I don't wanna, I don't want to go through processes of, and even for deliverance. Somebody comes there they want to be delivered from their demons well they want it all now no it doesn't work that way there's a reason for it folks and it's for the benefit of the person so it says in here that the people will be blinded by this light so he says so too if the redemption were to come all at once the jewish people who have been accustomed only to oppression would not endure the experience and it would overwhelm them i will submit to you that's exactly what happened when they left egypt they needed to be in the wilderness for 40 years it was necessary for them to go through that cycle because the deliverance came in stages in 40 years by the way that was an entire generation right there this is to me amazing so he says in here and this is what it gets really good and samuel the word migdol, which is translated as a tower, okay? But it really means, migdol really means to magnify something. In the Second Samuel, which is the parashah that we just read, the word migdol, tower, is used, why is it used migdol? Makes sense when you see it in the Hebrew, migdol, yeshuot. It says in here, it is used because it refers to the end. Of the process of deliverance. When the Messiah will be a tower of strength for his people. Better yet. Thus the verse will be rendered. And I love the way Hazal puts this in here. The verse should be rendered. When he says. Listen to this. It's going to really. When he says he is a tower of his king's salvation. Hazal says this. The verse should be rendered this way. His king. The Messiah. Is a tower of salvations for his people, and God does kindness to his messiah. This is coming from literature, folks, that is Jewish. You imagine this. This is beautiful. So this song, the ending of this song, has to do with the deliverance of the latter days, where the Mashiach himself will be a king. Who was King David's Messiah? Yeshua. And it is that same Messiah that he has been proclaiming, that he proclaimed in his Psalms. It is that same Messiah that the Nevi'ims proclaim, the prophets. It is the same Messiah that the Shlichim proclaim, the apostles. And it is the same Messiah that we are here proclaiming today in this Ohel. Right. Who do we serve? The king's king. King David's Messiah, folks. Who is essentially Abraham's Messiah. And we're going to find that out in Genesis when we come to it this year. Who is the same as Jacob. Who is the same as Isaac's Messiah. Who is Adam's Messiah also. So we conclude with us today with this song. And I, I pray that the songs today... The message of the songs today resonate well that we may make change in our lives, folks. We just started a new year, by the way, in the civil Jewish calendar. We just went through Rosh Hashanah. Okay. Much change has taken place so far, folks. Believe it or not. And I, I've gotten some of you guys' reports and things that are happening. And I'm really, really glad to hear that. Much change is taking place everywhere, believe it or not. Deliverance is taking place, family. Just because you're not experiencing it doesn't mean that it's not true. But there are people who are experiencing God's salvation, literally. You know, um, I received a text last night. I was, you know, we were doing it at a Shabbat, so when I got home, I, I got the text. But my son texted me last night. He texted me a poem. And it's a beautiful poem. It made my night. I couldn't even sleep most of the night, just being rejoicing. And it's a poem of salvation that he texts me. But it's more than a poem of salvation. You know what's funny? Is that the poem that he texted me, which came out of his own heart with this parasha little that he knows I really believe he has no clue because it's the song of Hazinu deliverance and salvation is happening right now family but we have to be faithful to the king many of you who know the history that's happened here with me and my son it hasn't been an easy one but when we stand firm in God's word and in God's judgment, he delivers. Even when people come against you, because boy, I got the third degree over that. You kicking your son out, you are cruelest, you name it. God's judgment is perfect. I want to leave you with this word of encouragement. Never doubt obedience over common sense. Because common sense can get you in a lot of trouble. Honestly. You ever heard the expression, you might be too smart for your own good? Yes. We need to be careful with that. And we need to be studying and showing ourselves approved through God's Torah and his, the rest of his Tanakh to understand the perfect plan and his hazom most importantly i really love the direction and where this kehila is going this this assembly but i believe that it's going in the direction that is going and no coincidence that the poem that i received yesterday for my son it shows me and it reveals to me that God is doing something and he's going to do it fast, folks. In other words, if you think you're going to be another here a thousand years before his return, you might be surprised. Because I think he's coming sooner than you think. There is, a, there is a, an awakening that's happening right now that is just overflowing. It's not just an awakening. You know, awakenings happen through stages. But this awakening has been happening for the last 50, 60 years. We're coming on a close of a time... That we are seeing now that there is a hesitation, not a hesitation, but a, 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 yes, an urgency. Thank you. An urgency. That's the perfect word. There is an urgency taking place right now in the spirit. An awakening. That, that there's, in other words, there's no time to slumber. There's no time for that. That time is done and over with. And I really believe that through this Chazinu, It's showing and revealing and giving us the strength that we need in order to overcome the adversities that are awaiting his people. So I leave you with David's song in coronation with the song of the Lamb. Because, you know, David is a prototype of the Mashiach, by the way. Judaism teaches that there's a Messiah ben David and there's a Messiah ben Yosef. Why do they call him Messiah, son of David? They even called Yeshua, Messiah, son of David. Come and heal us because he is the Messiah, son of David. He is the lineage of the dynasty of David, and he is returning back, and he is awakening his people to his Torah, and we need to be excited about his Torah. We need to be excited about his kingdom. You know what helps at least me every day overcome all the adversities that I come against? Is that it's about his kingdom. The day it stops being about you It is the day that you will be an awesome overcomer. It is the day that you don't mind working for $7 an hour. Because it's not about you anymore. It's about him. And he gives you, and I cannot explain this, and I cannot teach this because this is an experience. He gives you a shalom that surpasses all understanding and an assurance that I cannot even explain. And then he, in his faithfulness, he turns around. And he shows you in the natural, look what I did for you when you let go. Look what I did for you when you submitted completely to me. Part of that submission, folks, comes. You know, all of you saw Rico Cortez. Most of you were here for Rico. Rico's done a great change in his life. And I had the privilege to sit down with him for an hour and talk, and it was amazing. The experience that this man has felt and the changes that he's making now, but most importantly, the liberation that I personally see in him. See, it's no longer just lip service. I can see it. I see his freedom. I see the goal. I see how focused he is. It's a snap. It's really, really amazing when you submit. But what it took for him to submit, for him to find a teacher, which he did. For him to come under the covering of a teacher, for him to follow biblical principles, in God, and God, in doing that, God elevated him above and beyond what he probably thought he would be able to do. And I tell you that that's the experience. Hazinu, the song of deliverance. So my prayer is that today, and I hope to hear throughout the rest of this year, a song of deliverance from each and one of you. I already got one text from a son of deliverance. I hope to get either more texts or phone calls. Richard, this is it. This is what father did. I'm uh, Hashida Hashida. I want to sing praises to him for his deliverance. So that is, you' have Torah for this today Amen. Oh, Good
1: afternoon. This will be a short teaching today. <laughs> <laughs> That's my best Richard impression.) <laughs> so, this is the Brit Hadasha, which is New Testament uh, for Ha'azunu. Uh, a little bit about this portion. Is it cracking and popping here? Let's see if we can get it a little better. There we go. All right, we're in business. All right, so this is the Brit Hadasha portion, meaning the New Testament portion uh, f- that connects to our Torah portion. So, let's see if we can get to this. There we go. Yeah, all right. So, it is written by Paul. In Hebrew, his, word, his name was Shaul, right? He was written, this book of um, Romans was written to all who are in Rome. Well, that makes sense. But it's to the, those who are beloved of God and called to be saints. The word saints there would be those who are holy or set apart, right? So those that are, that are serving him, that are drawing closer to God, and God's drawing closer to them, right? So it's not to non-believers. It's to those that are uh, believers, Yeah. It's important to note before we talk about Paul that we know, identify, and agree that Paul was indeed a rabbi. He was a Jewish teacher, right? That's it's kind of contrary to what we hear in in the, in the regular Sunday going church, but he was indeed a, a Jewish rabbi. What that means is that as a young young man, he was immersed in that Jewish culture. He would have memorized almost the entire, probably the whole entire Torah by the time he was yehi or so, right? So he would he knew the culture, he knew. The Hebrew language. He knew. He knew the Roman language, right? He was a Roman citizen as well, so he had those going for him. And, and he's writing to the Romans. Um, it's important also to note that Paul supported the Torah. He followed the Creator's instructions. He taught others to do the same. And we hear that's. I just want to. This is our foundation, right? Because when we talk about Paul and we talk about Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, first thing we hear is that Paul was starting a new thing. No, no, he was supporting the Torah. He says so, actually. I can quote you verse after verse about where he says to keep keep the Torah and follow the instructions. So we're going to see some of that today. Alright, so yeah, his letters drew upon the Torah and the prophets. He used the Old Testament, or the original covenant, the Torah, to support his points in his letters to the Romans. Alright, so what percentage of the test, new, to Old Testament is in the New? I thought this was a very interesting chart. I know you can't read it, don't worry, we're going to zoom in on one or two of these lines. But if you want this graphic, I can send it to you. This lists every book of the New Testament and gives a percentage of how many Old Testament references are in there compared to the how many verses there are. So let's take a closer look. You got Matthew, 31%. Somebody did the counting. Thirty-three hundred and ten references in hundred, 1,071 verses. Right? Here's another example. Philippians says 14%, 15 references in 104 verses. How about Revelations? 150%. There are more references to the Old Testament in the book of Revelation than there are verses in the books of Revelation. In the book we're looking at today, Romans, talks about 35%. So 153 references out of 433. And particularly these eight verses we looked at today that we read, thank you, Carrie, for reading that, out of the eight verses... Six of them have references to the Old Testament. Paul is using the Old Testament, the foundation of the Torah, to bring revelation to the Jewish people in his letters to the Romans. So Romans 14, 21. Paul, again, he's using the Torah and the prophet to support his point. Um, it, do we read in that section, did you hear that Paul said, the good news is not for the Jews? I'd say no. It's the opposite. Paul's saying that it is. In fact, it's for all people. Um, but Israel has, in fact, as a, as a whole, right, as a, as, a, as a nation, has rejected that good news of the Messiah. Um, even with all of Israel's advantages, they had the written Torah. Yeshua came to them first, right, and us. So there's this, this verse, there's this phrase here, whoever calls upon the name of Yehovah shall be saved. Do you recognize it? So we were looking at Romans chapter four, chapter ten, verses fourteen to twenty-one. This is actually verse thirteen. It's the verse just before that, and it's quoting Joel two thirty-two, which Richard brought forward today. It talks about all are to be saved. In fact, the verse twelve in um, in Romans talks about Jew and Gentile are the same. We all the same Lord. We all the same Master, right? And all whoever call upon His name—not just whoever, but all anyone—shall be saved. And so what happens here in this chapter of Romans, this section, these eight verses, is it starts a chain, chain reaction. I don't know if you caught it. In the in first two verses, we see, how should they call on him if they not believed? Yeah. How do they believe if they have not heard? How do they hear if they have without a preacher? How do you find a preacher if it hasn't been sent? Right? So if we kind of reverse engineer it, you could say, the sending leads to the preaching. The preaching leads to the hearing, the hearing leads to the believing, the believing leads to the calling on him, which leads to being saved. Right? Just put it in different terms because it's kind of a fresh way to look at it, right? But why, why is this happening? Paul's using all these questions. Why? Why? Would you be surprised to learn that it's a Jewish rabbinical method of teaching that Paul is pulling forward here? right? So this idea of asking questions is really this idea of this invisible opponent. He's arguing with somebody who doesn't necessarily really exist, but he's imagining that his readers, his audience, are going to be asking these questions, right? And so he's setting up this opponent to argue with, and when he refutes that statement, then that that proves his point. Yeah? So it kind of gives a different light to how we look at this section of Romans. Um, Interesting to note here that Oh, who is this invisible opponent? The invisible opponent, is best to think of it as... um, Let's see if I got it here. Yeah. As a Messianic Jew defending Israel, right? Because Paul has an accusation against Israel that they are rejecting the good news, rejecting the Messiah as a whole. And so this invisible opponent is looking for flaws in Paul's argument, right? If I back up here, what are they saying? This invisible opponent is asking these questions. It's not Paul st- asking these questions. It's the invisible opponent asking these questions of Paul. you with me? So the, what they're saying is in terms of being sent, they're responding to this statement up top and saying, no, no, you use Joel all wrong. That's not what it means. In fact, so they, then they ask Paul these questions. How can you call on him who believed and believed not heard, heard until it had been sent? What are they really saying? If it had been sent to us, we'd have received him. But who, who's supposed to do the sending? Our creator, God, they're blaming God for not sending somebody to them, is essentially what they're saying here. Let's take a look. There's that first question. Oh, the yellow is is that invisible opponent making the statement. Like, oh, we would have believed, Israel would have believed if somebody had been sent to us, right? They're saying it's God's fault. The age old argument. It's not my fault. God did it to me. Paul has a response he says we were sent you see it in verse 16 and 17 who received our report right people they missed our report and so he uses this Isaiah 53 as a support for his argument against that they haven't been sent in fact he's saying I've been sent there's proof right there the next question comes up in verse 18 oh okay okay maybe, maybe somebody was sent we'll, we'll, we'll get, grant you that for, for sake of argument but it's not their fault they just didn't hear it that's the statement you see in the, uh, right off in verse 18 The the second half of verse 18, he said, yes, they did here. And he quotes Psalm 19, verse 4. That's where I wanted to read it here. Psalms 19, verse 4. Actually, I'm going to start at verse 1. Because we're going to get a running start into it. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament proclaims his handiwork. Each day announces it to the next. Each night expresses this knowledge. There is no speech nor are their words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice has gone out throughout the whole world and their words to the end of the earth. That last part, but the voice going out to the end of the world is what's quoted by Paul here in verse 18, right? So he's using the psalm as proof. They didn't hear? Well, they've all heard. It's gone out to the whole world. You can't say they haven't heard. So then, then the uh, invisible opponent says, okay, okay may- maybe they heard, but you know what? They probably just didn't understand. That's what happened, and Paul says, "Well, that, that's true. They may not have understood, but they should have." And he quotes from our Torah portion this morning, Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty-three, right? And what was Deuteronomy twenty-three? The using a nation that has not been a nation is going to make Israel jealous, right? If you remember that from the Song of Moses, and it is that's us people who have not been a people are going to be making Israel jealous because they are, they are coming in and joining with Israel and keeping the commands of God and bringing the message of the Messiah. And then he goes on, he, the argument continues in Isaiah 65, 1 is forward. And then he brings forward Isaiah 65, 2 as well. Um, he's using the Old Testament Right, to support his points and make this argument. He, this argument continues into chapter 11 of Romans as well. Really 9-11 through 11 is a segment uh, of this argument that happens with this invisible opponent. It's awesome to check that out and read it in its full picture. But I wanted to highlight one thing back in Romans chapter 17. and This draws us back to our Torah portion as well. We have faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Yehovah. Who so re-engineer it again. We did that before. The word of Yahovah, our scriptures, the Torah, leads to hearing, which leads to faith or trusting, which leads to calling upon the the name of Hashem, which leads to salvation. So it comes full circle, right? But we learned earlier, Richard brought it forward, who is the word of Yahovah? Yeshua himself. Leads to hearing and leads to faith. Right? The message of the Messiah is right there. Um, But it's interesting. If you take a look at that word for hearing, it's the Greek word akouo, Trust me. It implies uh, just more than sound of the ears, right? This word actually implies uh, the perception, comprehension, understanding, learning, doing. Does it sound like anything we talk about on a regular basis? <laughs> Do you hear the echoes of the Shema here? This word is related to the Shema. It's also related to the Hazanu, the ear, give a ear, right? You're giving ear implies obedience as well. It's this idea of hearing and yet doing something with what you heard right learning from it accepting it l- loving it God enough to do what he said to do we see that in Romans 2 Paul earlier in this chapter had cl- or in his book had clarified it not for the hearers of the torah who are righteous before Yahweh but the doers of the torah who will be justified yeshua himself said for whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven he is my brother my sister My he is my family right become heirs and James echoed this. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking to the face in the mirror, but then immediately forgets what kind of a person he was. But he who looks into the perfect Torah of freedom, and continues, not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer of the work, this person will be blessed in what he does. Right? And what is the thing he's gonna be doing will be the instructions of Yahovah. But he's also going to be the blessings of Yehovah instead of the curses, right? And so in your Bible, it might say the perfect law of freedom, but that word law is, is Torah, and I've inserted it there for us. But how often do we do the hearing, but then the hearing becomes repetitive, and then pretty soon we tune it out. Have we ever tuned anything out? Uh, a kid going, Daddy, 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 Daddy. I don't even hear it anymore at some point. Right? I'm reminded of um a time I asked the question in in a in a fast food restaurant, the uh, French fry machine, you know, beep, 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 beep. The guy's taking the order, beep, beep. I'm like, this is driving me nuts, and I've just been here five minutes. They're like, Oh, we don't even hear it anymore. The the entire restaurant can hear this stupid beeping noise, high pitched going in your in ears, making the uh, you know, my eating experience that much more miserable. But they don't even hear it. The workers there don't hear it. But here's the thing I noticed that beep was put in place by the manufacturer of the french fry machine. Right? Follow me here. That that was on purpose. There was a purpose for that french fry machine that the workers have decided that even though it means it's done, it needs a few more minutes anyway so we're going to ignore it for a couple of minutes then we're going to grab the fries because it's going to be a better fry. They've decided on their own. They've gone past and beyond the instructions of the manufacturer of the french fry making machine. Right? Take that to a spiritual level. Our God has given us the instructions. And how often do we just tune it out? And, right, set it aside. We're doing our own thing over here. Instead of following, listening to the beep, the warnings that are given to us. right? But being a, a hearer and a, do, and a doer as well, we're in the season of the feast. We came through Yom Teruah. We just had long Kippur. And starting Monday, Sunday night, we launch into the Feast of Sukkot. Right. Keeping of his feasts... Is part of the doing, right? Part of the doing and part of the hearing. And we're going to have a chance to hear amazing uh, testimonies and amazing teachings as well during the Feast of Sukkot as we celebrate the feasts of our King, the feasts of our Creator. And I I pray that you will be a hearer and a doer of the word. vemismarelho ia
0: Thank you for being a part of our teaching. Be sure to visit our website at www.thefoundationoftheword.org for additional resources and to help us financially. It is our hope and desire that what we teach will help you in your walk with Hashem Elohim, that we bring more souls into His kingdom. And we pray this in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen.